Good morning, Calvary Chapel Southeast. Try it again. Good morning. I love that. I need affirmation to do a good job. It's really great to see you. I've been here many times, and I'm going to break the rule of being a guest speaker, and I'm going to repeat a message, which is usually okay, because whatever got preached last week, you probably don't remember anyway. It had something to do with Jesus, but I actually wrote this message for your men's retreat about five years ago. It's a little fuzzy around that time, five to six years ago, and it's been a message that I have now shared with many churches. Uh, it's Hebrews 10, 23 to 25. The title is Hope for the Future. It reads, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, and so much, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. It is so important to remember the basics of the Christian life, and this message is a reminder of the faithfulness of God. It's in my notes that I have shared with many churches. A few years ago, I preached at a Calvary Chapel. It was this Calvary Chapel. After that Sunday morning, I did some errands, um, I, by the time I got home that day, I lived in Beaverton at the time. I was pastoring Calvary Chapel, Portland, uh, for many years and lived over there. I had a severe pain in my back, and I've had chronic back problems. And I thought, well, I know what to do for this. Uh, I'm going to do some stretching, some fancy moves to crack my back. But it didn't work. By Wednesday, the pain just was so bad, I finally said I need to go to the chiropractor, and I felt like a failure, that I couldn't fix it. So I went to the chiropractor, he worked his magic on me, and before I left his office, I said, now, can you tell me what I need to do to avoid this problem? In about two seconds, he flipped open that file folder he had on me, and he said, now... Back in 2001, I told you to do this exercise. I said, it's all coming back to me. <laughs> so he is a patient man, Christian godly man, and whenever I go to see him for my back issues, he thinks it's funny to tell me that I am backslidden. Did you know there was such a thing as Christian chiropractor humor? <laughs> it's a whole field of comedy, and he thinks he's funny. Well, actually, I went and spoke at another Calvary Chapel after one time he fixed me, and I told them about my chiropractor, that he told me I was backslidden. I went back to him the next week, and he says, I have a patient who attends a church up in Washington and they had a guest speaker who mentioned that his chiropractor was making fun of him for being backslidden. 
I had to speak at that same church the next Sunday, and I stood up in front and I said, somebody ratted me out. <laughs> they had, there's a patient there. It's a small world. So if you go to Dr. Okamoto, I'll find out. Actually, <laughs> it is a small world. So a reminder of things you've probably heard many times before. Hold fast to your confession of hope in the Lord. Have you heard that before? Well, I studied this, these few verses for this men's retreat for, for your church, and it really helped me to understand it in a fresh way. Usually, those two words, hold fast, it, is, it means in the Bible, in many cases, to grab hold of something and never let it go. But in this case, it doesn't mean that. I looked up the words, and the word means, first of all, to possess something. Possess something. Secondly, it means to act on it. And third, it means to remember it. To possess, to act on to remember. So I'm going to ask you three questions this morning. The first one is a, such a basic question. Do you possess a confession of hope in the Lord? Let me explain what I mean by that. Now, hope is not happiness. Happiness is how excited we feel when everything works out in our favor. Circumstances came together by chance, and happy comes from the word hap, which means chance. So things worked out, and you're excited. You have the peace of God that can never be shaken, but as soon as circumstances work out, 15 minutes later, they unwork out, and you should write that profound statement down. <laughs> Hope is not happiness. And it is not based on either your feelings or circumstances. We're talking about something completely different. The best definition I've heard for the word hope, biblical hope, is the assurance of a good outcome in the future. I love that. Let me say it again. The assurance of a good outcome in the future. That's difficult to get, get a hold of because everything around us tells us things are not going to work out. And even if you know in principle the Lord is working things out, if you can't see how that could happen, you're kind of not sure, quite so sure there's any assurance. So you're freaking out. You're making bad decisions. You're contemplating doing things you know are wrong because you think you are justified under these circumstances. Hold fast to a confession of hope in the Lord. The word confess is, is important here. And I learned this from J. Vernon McGee. You know J. Vernon McGee? I know J. Vernon McGee because my mother listened to J. Vernon McGee when I was seven, eight, and nine years old. I grew up in Los Angeles. I hated his voice. <laughs> Please, mother. 
that she listened to him every day, and now I listen to him and have his commentaries. I remember he said, the word confess means to agree with or to say the same thing. It's not merely to say words, but it's to confess words that you mean in your heart. So to hold fast to a confession of hope in the Lord means that when the Bible says that your future is in the Lord's hands, Romans 8, 28, God is working all things together for good for those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. You agree with that or you don't. So to possess a confession of hope in the Lord means you agree that the only assurance of a good outcome in the future is the Lord. Amen? Amen? And I love how simple that is. It's completely remove your emotions, your brilliant problem solving. And if you are a, an organized type person, a task-oriented person, this will drive you crazy because you will not be able to fix certain problems in your life. Amen? Amen? That was pretty wimpy. Amen? Amen? Okay, you said that for all the small population here that are hyper-organized people. <laughs> I agree in the worst of times in my life that the only way this is going to work out, Lord, is if you take it. That's all that is. Do you possess that? Do you have that confession? Amen? Amen? Amen. Paul said to Timothy, 2 Timothy 1.12, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded, persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Paul writes that. You know he wrote it to young Timothy, a young pastor. The circumstances, Paul is awaiting his execution in a Roman prison cell. Does this sound like the words of a man that has the assurance of a good outcome in the future? It does sound like it, but you would never know his circumstances. Whether he lives or dies, he knows that his life is in the Lord's hands. Whether he lives or, or dies, if he stays here, he will live for the Lord. If he dies, he will see the Lord face to face. Which is better, he says. And the older you get, the more you realize how true that is. We want to we do a lot of exciting things in this life, but at some point you're going, Lord, I'm looking forward to seeing you. My father-in-law, my wife sitting here in the front row, Catherine, her father is 95 years old. We just celebrated his birthday. Whenever we see him, he's lived a full life. He had been a pastor for about 60 years, pastored Westminster Assembly in Shoreline area of Seattle. He's been such a help to me, but he is ready to see the Lord. And I think that's okay. That's not pessimistic to say, I'm done here. I'm ready to see the Lord. Here's Paul's concern. Not whether he gets out of this predicament, but what's going to happen to Timothy? 
when he is executed, this is the time, he knows it's going to happen, he's more worried for Timothy than he is for himself. And I've been a pastor for 30 years, moved my family to Portland 30 years ago. I became the pastor at Calvary Chapel, Portland. My wife, three little girls, six, eight, and ten. My little 10-year-old girl is sitting here, and Lauren Franco, who leads worship for you occasionally, is my daughter. And now we look back and see the faithfulness of the Lord in many, many seasons that were very, very hard. Jeremiah 29, 11 is probably a verse that you have underlined in your Bible if you are holding an analog Bible. Do you know what that is? You think I'm pretty smart, huh? For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. How many of you have marked that verse for yourself? I love the backstory because Jeremiah was the prophet sent to the southern kingdom of Israel, Judah, at the height of their rebellion against God. And because of their idolatry, their sin, God is saying, if you don't repent, I'm going to bring the, the Babylonians here and take you captive for 70 years. But because Jeremiah didn't have this positive, happy message, but a message of correction, the people were saying, you're not really speaking for God, and if you are, God is not on our side, or you wouldn't be warning us like this. So this verse, when God says, I know the thoughts I think toward you, in another way, God might be saying to them, don't tell me what I'm thinking. Just the fact that I'm not telling you what you want to hear does not mean I don't love you. And it doesn't mean I'm not planning good things for you. The fact is you're not cooperating. And because I love you, I'm going to take you captive for 70 years. And when you return, it says right after verse 11, then you will call on me. And I will hear you and I will show you my plans for you. What you learn through these lessons is how faithful the Lord is when we don't deserve it. Not that we ever deserved it, but even in times when we have completely gone our own way, we discover the faithfulness of the Lord. So number one, do you possess a confession of hope in the Lord? Do you agree that whatever you're going through, the only assurance of a good outcome is in the Lord's hands? Amen? Question number two, are you acting on that hope? It's one thing to say, yes, you believe your life is in the Lord's hands. The second question is, what are you doing about it? Are you making decisions that reflect that? Or in your hide of emotions or panic or, or fear, are you making bad decisions? Because the Lord promised to work things out, and the question is whether you believe him or not. If you had a financial crisis and a, a family member said, I just heard what's going on, man, I'm going to put a check in the mail today for $10,000. 
would you me immediately be filled with the peace of God? You hadn't even have the you don't even have the money yet. You don't you can't even pay the bill, the medical bill, pay your rent or your mortgage, but you automatically because of that promise you begin making decisions. Well, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. Nothing has changed except a promise. You either believe the Lord or you don't. Because you see everything has changed because of what Jesus has done for you. First of all, he's given his life for you. So when you panic and start asking for other things that are so small in comparison to what he's already done, let's remember what he's done. He's given his life for you. He's cleansed you of your sins. He's given you access to the very throne room of heaven. You're in the family of God. You're not an outsider. You might feel like an outsider sometimes, but that's a lie. You are now a member of the family of God. When I share my testimony at churches, this is personal to me because I've had to unlearn things from my childhood. I grew up in Los Angeles. It's my mother who got me in church, who forced J. Vernon McGee on me. But my father stayed home and drank. He was an alcoholic. I never knew a day that my father did not get drunk. Talk about growing up in a schizophrenic household. I literally grew up between two choices. The way my mother went, and she had the amazing peace of God through all those years of living in that house with my father, and then I could see the outcome of my father's choices. I didn't want the way my father went. Actually, my father was in seminary to be a pastor with Jerry Falwell, but left school, went to California, and became an alcoholic. And to this day, I don't know why he left school and left the ministry. But the Lord is faithful. I married a young girl, and her father's a pastor, and so the Lord replaced and brought the support for me that was lost, that was taken away. But there's a residual of growing up in a household of alcoholism or substance abuse or different kinds of dysfunction. And that is literally, to cut to the chase, I was trained to be hopeless. How does that happen? You see, an alcoholic makes promises over and over again that they don't keep. Hey, this weekend we're going to do this. For, Christ, for Christmas, I'm going to buy you that bike. Hey, this summer we'll go do this. I mean, that is just normal protocol for substance abuse. Many of you are nodding your heads with me. And I had a young woman in the first service that came to me and talked to me, said that my story was exactly. This is stereotypical effects, residual effects of alcoholism in the family. So I learned over and over to stop expecting good things to happen to me. So I was trained by broken promises to stop believing that promises were for me. Even way into my adulthood, promises that I knew were, 
were true in the Bible, they probably weren't true for me. And I had to unlearn that. Even though way back in the mid-70s during the Jesus movement, I put my life in the Lord's hands. I acted on it. I said, Lord, if there's any future for me, you please work it out. About 15 years ago, I got a, a Facebook message from a woman who said, are you uh, the Terry McNabb that coached gymnastics in Carson, California? During the late 70s, I coached a, a club gymnastics team uh, of girls that were all kids of doctors, lawyers, psychiatrists, all from Palos Verdes, Redondo Beach, Hermosa, the rich kids, and I was completely at the other end of that economic scale. They had every advantage, but what they messaged me and said, could you come to a reunion of the team? What a flash forward from 1978 to 15 years ago. And for me to be able to then share with them all that God had done in my life since, since that, those years of feeling like I had no hope. It was amazing for me to get to see it, to flash forward. At every turn in my life, the Lord has been faithful. At every turn in which I thought, Thing, this is it, everything's, everything's over. And in fact, the very reason our family came to Portland was because of a whole season of crisis, my Job season. Um, it, it felt like ministry, business, friendships, everything got taken away. We lived in Northern California, and I was so discouraged and depressed. We left things there, came to Portland because we had family in Portland and Seattle, and I'm just saying, Lord, we're going to restart our crashed and burned life. I'm 35, three little girls, six, eight, and ten. My wife, I got here, I called the pastor at Calvary Chapel, Portland, and, and I said, you know, my name's Terry, I'm just, we're thinking of moving to Portland, just wanted to see what's happening with Calvary Chapel, Portland. Just a year before, Doug left that church and planted this church a year before. I was walking into a mess. Anyway, an elder called me back a couple of days later and said, well, I'm not sure who you are, but our pastor stood up two weeks ago and resigned. Are you a pastor? <laughs> that sounded like a trick question. For about 10 years, I had been preparing for ministry, thinking that's what God was going to do. But now I've just been through a couple of years that were horrible. Everything has gone wrong. I have no confidence to do anything. Uh, a, pa a pastor at Costa Mesa said, Terry, why don't you just go to Portland and start a church? And I said, look, I don't have the confidence to go start my car. <laughs> at the lowest point of my life, we came here and the church asked me to be their pastor. And seeing the faithfulness of the Lord to bring us here right on time, 
and then for 23 years, bless that church and provide for our family. That is how I've learned of the faithfulness of the Lord. And in no way, looking back, could I ever claim credit for anything. Because, you see, I had just failed at everything. So I couldn't say, well, I set things up, and I prepared, and I interviewed. I'm just, well, I just failed at this. I just failed at this. I just failed at about four things, it felt like. And they said, okay, you're qualified. But I really had to go through that graduate course. That graduate course was in the grace of God. That God will bless you when you don't deserve it. There is something in our mind that is embedded back there. We know grace is undeserved. But God, don't you see I've been pretty faithful? We don't even really know that it's, it's lurking back there. And it's when you go through trials, it comes out. Because you feel like, well, I don't deserve this. Wait, did you deserve it when God was, was blessing you? Now you're in trials and you say you don't deserve it? We don't deserve any of it. The world is unfair. But once I landed in Portland, I could see that the Lord allowed me to go through that trial of fire because the people I had to minister to had just also been through a trial of fire. And the Lord perfectly prepared me to minister to these people. It was really, really amazing. Do you possess a confession of hope in the Lord? It means you agree that only the Lord is able to work this out. Second, are you acting on it? What choices are you making? You can make the right choices in spite of circumstances or emotions. Do you understand that? Don't say to me, I can't because. No. And you see, your circumstances are not limiting or hindering God in any way. Stop looking at your circumstances and saying, well, God work, would work things out if this wasn't happening. That is a lesson you've got to work out. God is not limited by your circumstances. You probably know it, but you need to learn it again. The third question, do you remember your hope in the Lord? Do you remember your confession of hope in the Lord? And of my three questions, this is the hardest one. Because I remember it in good times. I can't remember it in the hard times. Now, when I was a young pastor, 35, I was determined to be so faithful Lord, you've given me this opportunity to pastor this church. And Lord, I know other churches go through trials and the church just went through problems, but Lord, I will be faithful. Have you ever told the Lord that? Lord, I will be so, I'm, and you sincerely meant it. Lord, this time, I am committed to you with my whole heart. 
And what I thought that meant is that if I was faithful, then I would be exempt from trials. And two weeks later, I learned that wasn't true. <laughs> what you learn is trials are normal. Trials are the normal course of things. You're not exempt because you were faithful. No one is exempt. And when I was a young pastor, if somebody would come to me at church and say, I'm really struggling, our family's going through hard times, you know what young pastors say in, in advice? Well, I haven't seen you in church in a couple of weeks. Are you being faithful? Are you reading your Bible every day? Are you praying? Now, those are all good questions to ask, but they imply that if you were doing all these things, you wouldn't be struggling. Whenever I would be in a hard place as a young pastor, I would ask one of the older guys to get their wisdom, and they would always say, Terry, if you just trust the Lord, you'll be okay. Now, in my ripe old age of uh, 37, <laughs> I have grown to really resent that advice. It implies that if you are struggling, it's your fault. We're placing blame. Now, it goes without saying that you and I can cause our own suffering, right? Okay, I know that. So don't come after me, after me afterwards and say that. I know that. But let's say hypothetically, all of you were faithful every day, week after week, year after year, would you be exempt from suffering? No, you're not. Let's talk about when it's your turn to go through suffering. That's when it's hard to remember. And this is in my notes. I didn't embed this for Ryan and because his father just passed away and um, that I have a good friend I have known for over 30, 35 years. I played music with, toured the world together in a band. I was in business together. We owned uh, two haagen ice cream stores, and I'll give you a, a second to think about that. <laughs> you know those little pints? They're really not pints. They're 14 ounces. I would have the two-and-a-half-gallon tubs in my freezer at home. The two peanut butter flavors, <laughs> chocolate and vanilla, whenever we had a vanilla. Anyway, I could get distracted on ice cream. <laughs> I think it's God's food group. <laughs> Longtime friend, godly man, still friends with him. We talk all the time. About six years ago, within a six-month period of time, his mother, his father, and his wife all passed away. What do you say to someone who's going through things like that? Hey, just trust the Lord. And if you add bro on the end of it, that, that really punches it up, the spiritual counsel. Hey, just trust the Lord, bro.
You know what I've learned to say now to people who are going through things like that? You feel whatever way you want to feel. You're allowed to grieve. You're allowed to yell at me or throw something across the room. It doesn't mean you don't trust the Lord. It doesn't mean that God is not going to bring you through this. It doesn't mean things aren't going to work out. I'm just sorry you're going through this at this time. And let me tell you this, if you're not in it now, you will get a turn. How's that for comforting advice? <laughs> Everybody gets a turn. So when you talk to somebody at church and it's their turn, don't give them that sad, condescending look because you will get your turn. Or maybe somebody will give you the sad, condescending look. But we're okay. And here's what I've learned. When it's your turn, the things you knew clearly and counted on of the faithfulness and the love and grace of God, you forget them. Why? Because of the emotions. Your, your thinking completely goes out the window because of the stress and the emotions of these things. Have you ever been there? Yes. And here's what I want to say. That's normal. It's not a sign of your lack of faith or that anything's wrong with you. It's just more than you should have to bear. So what does this scripture say? Let's not neglect the assembling of ourselves together, which is the manner of some, but to gather together, to stir up love and good works. It's because we forget that we need to be around brothers and sisters who will remind us. It's okay what you're going through. I want to just remind you, the Lord is faithful and you're going to be okay. There is hope for the future. There is hope for the future. I work with a ministry now called Poyman Ministries. Poyman just means shepherd. And we're a group, a group of pastors that pastor pastors. And I will get a call from a young pastor who is completely in the stress of ministry, and I suddenly realized it happens around 40 years old. Pastors in their 20s, they don't need help because they're just enjoying learning about everything. Everything's new. Pastors in their 30s don't need any help. You know, what, know why? They know everything. It's around 40 that the weight of the world just feels like it drops on your shoulders. Now, whatever I said about 30-year-olds knowing everything, that doesn't apply to Ryan. You know that. <laughs> Ryan is exceptional, which means he is not normal. <laughs> he, he's really mature beyond his years. And I think he's older than he is. He, he's doing a great job. Amen. Amen. First service applauded more, I'm just saying. That's right. He's had so much, so many years of experience that's prepared him to be here, but I know 
there is a huge amount of pressure on his shoulders. And so my word to young pastors is to share the ministry more. Share it, and you, you're doing a great job at doing that. The things I would tell other young pastors, Ryan is already doing, and he seems to automatically know what to do. But what's interesting is when the stress hits in ministry, I have to remind pastors of things they teach but forgot. Just like Paul had to remind a young pastor, Timothy, in 1 Timothy of things Timothy forgot under the stress of ministry. It's really normal to be so overwhelmed that you forget. There's nothing wrong with you. The Lord is going to bring you through. When I was a gymnastics coach, I'd walk into the gym and those young girls would say, oh, Terry, you're here. I want to learn this dismount off the beam, off the bars. They would do the craziest tricks that they could never do. You know why they would do it? Because they knew I would catch them. I've saved a lot of broken noses and broken necks. Terry, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fly off the bar and go flying over the lower bar and do a flip Great. We'll see. <laughs> and they were, they were light, and I would catch them, and you can see I'm so awesomely buffed. Um, but I think, now, that doesn't mean you get to go flail yourself around life, and the Lord's just going to catch you. It does mean that in the things God's directed you to do, you have the promise that he will bring things to the right outcome in the future. It's amazing to look back and to see the Lord keeps his promise. The Lord keeps his word. And when you come through these things, you will look back and share these lessons with other people who are going through these lessons. I'm gonna have the worship team come up now and the, the prayer team and I encourage you to take advantage of this moment. Let people pray for you, even if you, you, you don't feel like it. You don't need to feel spiritual to come up. Just let others compensate and let them take care of you. And this is what we're here for. Maybe some of you don't have this kind of relationship with the Lord and I just want to encourage you to take a minute this morning and ask the Lord into your life. It's as simple as saying, Jesus, would you forgive me of my sins? Would you come into my life and make me a child of God? It is, you can say that in your words. It is a simple prayer of faith that the Lord hears you you are given a new heart, you are delivered from your past, and you are now brought into the plans of God. But as well, if you're a child of God and just wondering how things are going to work out, please just remember how much the Lord loves you. He is working things out. Maybe it doesn't go as fast as you think, or you can't see how it's happening, but let me tell you, it's happening. 